0: Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Straight Talk Radio, where we discuss business, politics, and culture. I'm your host, Donya Keating, live from the Seattle area at about 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Is it? Okay, whatever. <laughs> On Wednesday, December 30th. Listeners, dial 646-378-0261 to chime in live press one on your keypad when you're ready to speak. And uh if you'd rather send us a comment or a question via chat, you could open that up and go. And as we have said on several uh broadcasts, it might be a little bit wonky. Some people have had problems with it. Um so if you have a blog talk account it might alleviate that, it might not. And uh I think there might be a feature where if you don't want to put your question out there on the chat openly, you can actually send one privately to Chris who is kind of monitoring the board there. So anyway. Um I have to admit that although um we got word that many of you were writing in and asking if we'd be doing a show about the elections, I was personally not looking forward to covering what I think is easily the biggest circuits yet in the political arena. I mean it's just a joke and we'll get to some of that, but um, you know, certainly not worth um the time other than to maybe talk about some candidates, talk about some positions that are out there, um, speculate on and you know, what we think is gonna happen in some of the, you know, uh, primary and um and, and getting to the general elections, and just you know some other things that that may crop up. I think Charles Keating is expected to join us today, along with a few others who want to call in. That said, that they were going to call in, and this will be as long or short as that that participation dictates. I don't I don't care it's, if it was just to me, it'll probably be short and not so sweet. But um, anyway, let's get started. I'm going to hop on over to the um, studio and see who's out there. It looks like I have Charles. Charles, hi.
1: Hello. I am here. So,
0: yeah, you are. Um, and I don't know. I mean, we never know who's out there. Sometimes we have repeat people that are listening, and then we sometimes have people that have never listened before. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself personally and um, or professionally and about your background and some bio information?
1: Well, I'm an IT consultant. I started programming when I was 16, so I've been in the tech field almost forever. Um, and I am the current president of West Sound Technology Association. So I have contacts with lots of different businesses and helping promote technology, and I've always voted since I've been able to vote, since we're talking about politics, um, and I kind of come from that vein of small business Republicans, which is, seems to be very endangered species nowadays in um, the current climate where uh, there's really, and, and, and back in the day when there was bipartisanship, at least in my opinion. So um, that'll be interesting to talk about.
0: Yeah, you brought up an interesting point about that. Um, There's so much um, partisan toxicity and so much rhetoric out there and you know, there's some lines in the sand where, you know, people are afraid, especially here. You know, we, we live in a part of, of Seattle that is known for being very progressive, quote-unquote, and very um, left-leaning or liberal. And there are some people that live here that are not, that are afraid to speak up and that feel like they have to silence themselves. Well, I'm not one of those people, and I'm not I'm not in, the least bit intimidated by anybody here. Um, but I think the other thing for me is that you just have to choose your battles and, and value your time and know where you want to go to have discussions with people who really benefit from misunderstanding you and have no interest whatsoever in trying to find middle ground or any kind of commonalities towards solutions. They just want to shout each other down. And so My point being, you know, when you say, you know, I'm a Republican or a conservative, but you always have to qualify it because there are people that are always waiting on the sidelines to take a shot at that and and characterize it in the most extreme way, Um, and it's just ridiculous. So it's not worth it. And uh, and, and the other part of that is that our party, quote-unquote, because I've never really considered myself, you know, beholden to a party, even though I lean a certain way – has certainly been uh, changed over the years and gone to the extreme right or, you know, just really kind of gone off the map in terms of what it was originally supposed to represent. And so, you know, talking today about some of the candidates and whether or not they're actually even going to hit that that target in any way, left or right, is is going to be interesting to explore. So let's jump right in, and I'm going to ask you a question here. <clears throat> and pardon my voice today, um, audience, I'm kind of... Still struggling with some kind of bug over the last few months, but what the hell happened charles i mean what what happened why how how do we end up with this this roster of of ridiculousness for our um presidential candidacies
1: well in in my opinion I think it's it's the uh culmination of a winner take all mentality um one that that seeks to um try to curry favor with certain bases, so to speak whether that's conservatives that are financial conservatives or religious conservatives um, or moderates. Although I think what's happened in recent times is there's fewer and fewer moderates because the rhetoric has become so toxic that anybody that tries to cooperate and find a middle ground is is seen like, uh, you know, a Neville Chamberlain, you know, they're queasling, you know, they're, they're sleeping mm-hmm. with the enemy, so to speak. And, I think that's completely the wrong perspective. I think this has got to play out. I think what's going to happen is it's going to play out until there is such a huge disaster where somebody is so partisan that you know the gridlock is getting worse and worse, and I think they're seeing that. You know, There's no way. I'm almost at the point where it's like, I don't care what label you attach to it. If somebody's extreme, I'm not for them, um, and I don't care what party they are. Um, and it's, it's gotten to the point where you know the label doesn't matter as much anymore there there should be almost a third party that's the moderate party that believes in in working with both sides and maybe maybe that's what the third candidacy really is going to eventually have to be about because the middle is disappearing
0: you know, we always have these conversations, and by we, I mean society, about the, you know how the third party is really needed because we've kind of gone past the point of no return with respect to where the two major parties are going. And you, you do have to wonder what it would take for someone to finally step up and, and have a candidate that is from a third party that has a reasonably good chance of being elected. Um, and I, looking at the election and the candidates right now, I, you know, frankly, I think it is a circus and I think it's ridiculous, but in many respects, I think it reflects – Um, the, it reflects society. I mean, people are very, very divided. They're very, very toxic in the way that they engage one another. And so, you know, maybe the candidates are reflecting some of that, but I also think that we're driving it. And I think that when you get past the point where you start really listening to or having conversations about the issues and how we can resolve them, then you're certainly going to end up with the sound bites that we're ending up with and the promises that we're ending up with and all of the conversation that's taking place in a vacuum as if we're so stupid to not realize that all of these promises cannot happen without the cooperation of so many different people and, 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 you know, Congress and so forth, and getting laws passed. You know, right now you know, we've we've just gotten back from. I'm sorry, I didn't want to keep going on, but we just got back from D.C. not that long ago and spoke with some people that we highly respect, some uh, elected officials that we've worked with for many many years. Derek Kilmer being one of them from Washington State, who by the way um, just showed up in the Washington Post as one of the most effective, and I think they had a list of four or five top effective um, representatives on the D side. Um, and he said that this is really even worse than the do nothing Congress that we had back during the times of Truman. So you had a comment you wanted to jump in with.
1: I was going to say, when you were talking, it is important not to make mistake the symptom for the cause. I think what we're seeing as the candidates is not the cause of our problems, but reflective of the symptoms of what's going on in society. Mm-hmm. I think with you know drastically falling uh, incomes in the middle class and the middle class separating into fewer in the middle and You know, more higher end income or very, very higher end incomes that are not being, that are able to escape taxation. They're talking about it as like people at the highest income levels, and I say the ones that are making in the hundreds of millions of dollars, are able to avail themselves of tax strategies that even people in the quote unquote upper middle class can't afford. So realistically, you know, Warren Buffett pays less of a tax rate than his secretary, and he knows this, and he admits it, and he's a billionaire. So he's like, this is kind of fundamentally wrong. There's nothing that says in a tax system that we should be trying to tax more of the lower and middle income than we are of the higher income in terms of a percentage tax rate. But you know, maybe for lack of a better term, we've already essentially gotten to the to the flat tax in the, in 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 uh, in application. But lo- long story short, that's the reflective of what's happening in society. They, they, like Trump plays right into this very disturbed. Middle-income society, there's a lot of people that have not gotten jobs back after the, after the fall-off in the economy. Those jobs that did come back are not nearly as well-paying. The ones that do open up are not available to older workers in many cases. There isn't sufficient retraining. There isn't sufficient opportunities. There's still a lot of discrimination and issues that are going on. And, and I think all of these factors are playing into a very angry electric that realizes fundamentally things are wrong. And the solution is not a simple one where we can continue to stay an average course and just keep doing what we're doing. I think ultimately we're not going to be able to keep doing what we're doing.
0: And I agree with you. I think there's a lot of anger that's out there. Some of it justified. Some of it uh, sort of just, um, I would say, exaggerated. But, I mean, the reality is that there there are reasons for being um um, angry or upset or impatient or whatever, because there's a there's sort of a, a a split society here. There are people that are working very hard for what they what they achieve. And they're making sacrifices to get there, and of course, it's not like we're looking for you know tax breaks everywhere or, or, or all types of loopholes or whatever. Although that does happen at the higher echelons, as you've mentioned before. But you know, the other side of that is that there are people that are really looking for their handouts. They're they're it's it's a struggle for them to get back on their feet. They're they're content to be on the dole. There's rampant consumerism and a lack of responsibility, and some of those things are actually um, reverberating back into our society where they expect, they almost demand, and they feel entitled to. Um, being taken care of on a certain level. And I think that there's some kind of a middle ground between those two positions that has to take place. Um, but the other thing is, you know, you talked about the anger and the, and the, how people are feeling, but I think part of it is sometimes they're responsible for it because they're not informed or not as informed as they could be about the issues. I mean, I look at people um, even on, on social media, uh, under articles or media or whatever's out there when I have a chance, and there are people that I know and even respect that I consider reasonably intelligent and educated, and even they have succumbed to sound bites and, and very, you know, half-informed, you know, half-cocked types of, of uh, posturing, so in a lot of ways you kind of get the government you deserve, and if you're angry, then you have yourself to partially blame because, you know, at some point, you're going to have to cut through all the bull and get to the issues and make some decisions, and we're not going to agree on everything. It's just not going to happen that way. We're all different types of people in this society, but you have to find something so that you're not in gridlock, and I think that's part of the, you know, the problem that we're seeing here. And again, like I mentioned before, all of the promises about what people are going to do, we've seen all that. We've been through it. Many, many, many uh, presidencies where everybody thinks they're going to walk in with a cape and say our society, and it just doesn't happen that way. Anyone that works with government or in government, which I've done and you've done, we know how it operates. We know that you have to cooperate. There has to be some quid pro quo in there and some deal-making, and and if not, then we just have stasis. So um, what are some of your thoughts? Let's talk about candidates. Let's go through a couple of those.
1: one, One thing I wanted to say on that is, which we did get from the trip to D.C., is that behind the scenes, they, when they get there, there's the rhetoric that is for public consumption, then when they actually get down to the business of working in Washington, they do still realize that they have to work there. The the laws haven't changed in what it takes to pass a bill. So as a result, they still realize that they have to get together. So despite the rhetoric, which has created a very toxic external public environment, internally in D.C., they still have to cut deals with each other. And so that's still happening. That was a good thing that came out of that trip,
0: by the way, so I want to say. Yeah, and the other part that came out of that is, you know, it's always been the case, but it's it's certainly more critical. Um, and, and we're poignant now, and that is that they are overwhelmed as well. I mean, they are in a lot of ways operating in a vacuum. Um, their information is, is very internally processed and, and reprocessed. And if it's not lobbyists, then it's special interest groups, and then it's themselves and, and all of these people and their information. So they really do like to hear from, um, contrary to what m- many people believe, they really do like to hear from citizens and business owners. They really want to hear those calls from you, they want to see those letters, they want to see those visits. Um, you may not have to go to DC to do it, but if you go to their local offices or the regional offices, or reach out. they really want to know what you think um and I think the other thing that um stands out is that they're so busy that they're not i mean there's this illusion. Um, uh, from the public that they're just sitting there with all these bills coming across their desk that they're completely articulate on every single aspect of every issue that rolls through their their office. And they're not. I mean, not to to criticize them or anything, but they are not. So you can go in and have a meeting with them and talk about something and throw an acronym at them and expect them to understand what you're talking about. And they may not even know the bill that you're speaking of, even though they may have co-sponsored it. So you can become very jaded by that reality, or you can just recognize, hey, this is an opportunity to once again, you know, educate them about it and why it's important to me and what I want them to do, and then just move forward. Um, but it, it is very, very true that they're certainly not on top of these, you know, massive documents and, and books of laws that we would, would like them to be. Um, you know, informed about. So, um I was going to ask you, and I'm still gonna ask you, your thoughts about some of the specific candidates and their campaign and their stance on the issues. We can start with the D's or the R's, it doesn't matter to me. But um I just wanted you to to give some well, thoughts on that.
1: Let's start with the thumb that sticks out the highest, and that would be Trump. <laughs> T for Trump, oh, Trump. There you go. Yeah. Um so you know, interestingly enough, again, and he taps into I think a very Dispirited and angry, electric, which honestly does need to have a voice, and it's not. I, I do not discount their concerns. Healthcare has become unaffordable, even with you know ACA. It's very hard to the system doesn't work well, and it's it's very hard to to buy insurance, and in even when you use it, you know, with a very very high deductible. There's many cases where. You know, it's essentially you're you're paying five, ten thousand dollars a year to to, to to cover a family and on top of that you have a ten thousand dollar deductible. So if anything happens you're still, you know, on the hook for pretty much all of your costs. So it's very um the electric right now is has, has got a got an issue. And with Trump, gosh, he's playing to so many sound bites, you almost gotta wonder, does he believe some of the things he's he's saying or is he smart you know, playing playing smart and basically using this as kind of free media, and then later on in the campaign, he's gonna say, "Yeah, I didn't really mean that." Now, I think presidentially, you shouldn't be you shouldn't do that. I mean, honestly, you can mis- you can change your position on things. You could say, "Hey, I said this, but this is kind of what I really meant," or "Really, I've rethought my position, and really, I think X." But Trump has painted himself into so many corners in such a assertive way. I was going to say, maybe I was going to use a different term. But, you know, essentially his personal attacks on other candidates, in my opinion, means that he's too busy trying to win and tear down everybody around him that I think he's disqualified himself, in my opinion. So as far as I'm concerned, he's irrelevant. Now, he's not irrelevant in the fact that he's leading the Republican field, so you can't ignore him, but I think most Republicans would be horrified if Trump won. And uh, I think it would basically destroy the party or tear it in half. And maybe that's part of his goal. Maybe eventually he he wants to see, you know, a different type of party out there that, you know, believes in, you know, kick out all the immigrants, even though we're a nation founded among immigrants. I mean, there's all these things that he says that are so completely unconstitutional that you know he would never be able to do half the things he even says. Even if he was president, he would be reined in by the office. But neither here nor there, just the symbolic of of voting somebody like him this would be like uh, uh v- voting marie le pen the president of france <laughs> so i don't think he would represent us well
0: well the thing about trump is um <clears throat> you, you know, first of all there are some comments and the first comment that came through on the chat is that he's a clown well okay no surprise there um but he's also a shrewd businessman and i've 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 worked with him in the past and have seen him evolve over time. But there have been comments out there in the blogosphere about Donald, Donald Trump being a shill and that he's really just trying to get Hillary elected. So for some people, that theory doesn't pass the sniff test. For some, it does. And the point of, behind that is that you know what he's doing is riling up a base, you know, a very far-right, angry base, and even though he's not really going to get the, you know, so we assume not really going to get the the nod from the party um, in the primaries, then what he would be able to do is turn to some other candidate and use that as leverage and say, okay, well I can throw this base to you and I can throw these votes to you, and in return for that I'm going to want X. Now whether that's a candidate, you know, a cabinet position or some other type of influential position, who knows? But the other part of that is that if people are so afli- afraid of the party. Um, whether they're independents or moderates, um, or even left-leaning, and they just find the idea of him so repulsive, then it drives people over to the D side, and so then you start looking at who are those candidates, and that's you know Bernie, and then it's also Hillary, and so with that relationship that he's had with the the, the um, Clintons for so many years, that is very well documented. You know, they've hung out together, he, they've been to his wedding. You know, he's also been very for her vocally in the past. I mean, there's there is that. Hmm. Is he really just really trying to get her elected? And, and so now this is just theater. And they get together and say, "Okay, I'm going to call out bills. You know, Monica Lewinsky uh, indiscretion. I'm going to, you know, criticize you on all these other things. But at the end of the day, you know, here's the here's the, uh, you know, the game plan. So in other words, it,
1: he might be he might be spending you know fifty million or a hundred million of his own money. But in the end, he'll make that back in tax breaks.
0: Oh, easily. <laughs> so easily yeah right you know you and go.
1: and it, so to him it it doesn't matter now, one thing i will say that is kind of in his favor is he does have this ability because he doesn't take money from anybody he's just using his own that he can he can give voice to certain issues that nobody would normally touch okay so oh i don't want to touch that because i would make people angry well the fact is everything's on the table because of him so i do want to say there is that silver lining of the cloud with him and that he's been able to give voice to issues that otherwise probably wouldn't have seen the light of day. Now, I well, haven't thought like about this whole undermining, like a whole, this whole conspiracy, let me completely undermine the Republican Party with this message and basically hijack them, and then it'll get become so that <laughs> might be a very smart strategy on his part, because so, <laughs> quite frankly, it's working. <laughs> And, well, uh, he's not
0: an idiot, and and you know no matter what anybody has no. to say about him and how he's being a, a clown, obviously in the political arena, he's not a stupid man by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but I think the other point is when you talked about earlier um, people being so afraid of him and and that he's never going to get anything passed. And I did say that earlier about being able to uh, partner with um, people in Congress in order to get things done um, and other. Um, special interests and influentials and so forth. The other side of that coin is that if you've got enough, if you're an elected official and you want to stay um, in office and you've got the majority of your constituent base contacting you and saying, I want these policies enacted, you know, there's some kind of pressure there um, that may come to 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 bear on the elected officials to start representing those very policies that that we, we find repugnant <clears throat> and these streams. Well, give that you we some... find repug- So that that's there's certainly a possibility. But <clears throat> so
1: so for instance, you you say that, and a perfect example is think about immigration and how much he's harped upon. You know how porous our borders are. Well, do you think that that's had any impact on the the um? Current administration on Obama's administration with this whole announcement of this campaign to round up a lot of the illegals that started the cross uh, coming into the new year. So like, there's been a surge in immigration, and they're basically maybe they're. I don't know what the re, I don't know what all the underlying trends are, but it looks like the, rea- the the administration is reacting to some of the things that are being sent out there
0: well i mean because ultimately this is a government by the people and if the people you know sometimes it, you know and there's a there's a comment that we often said in in school um with some of my professors and it was one of those things where sometimes you know it's you have to decide if you want to have an enlightened enlightened dictatorship or if you really want to have a pure republican democracy because the reality is that some people um, have desires, and there's some things that they want, but they don't necessarily know what they need. And and there's that balance point where you have to figure out as an elected official, you know, how far am I going to go to listen to the voice of the people and give them exactly what they want, especially if it's a majority request, even if that might be wrong? Where does the line get drawn? Where do you stand up and say, no, we're going too far? And as a representative, then I'm not just someone that's here to, to um, be a puppet, you know, and you're our, you're the puppeteer, but I'm also here to be a trusted advisor um, based upon my knowledge and understanding of the system and what I think we should be um, trying to achieve. So I don't know, but <clears throat> so other than you know, we talked about you know Trump, and we can certainly spend this entire show on Trump, and I don't want to do that. But what are your thoughts about some other uh, candidates that are out there?
1: Well, um, if I look at the entire Republican field, let's just let's just take the Irish for a second. Um, I think some of the things that Ben Carson, you know, when I when I looked at the reaction in the media and then I looked at what he said, he actually made a lot more sense than what the media portrayed. And yet there are some things out there that basically in his past, like, you know, I wanted to kill somebody and different things that he said, that were like, well, this is very interesting. I haven't really, I guess I haven't looked at that enough to see whether or not he's somebody I would consider later on, but... I think, ultimately, what disqualifies me for a lot of the Republicans is they have such an issue with trying to destroy what I think is one of Obama's better achievements, which is the Affordable Care Act. Now, I don't think it's been implemented well, and I think it needs to be improved radically. But, ultimately, I know that, for instance, health health insurance should not be tied to work anymore. Too many people are in contract labor or in independent positions. And the way insurance works is it only works efficiently or cost effectively for large large corporate employers. If you're an individual going at the healthcare market, you get the worst possible deal. And ultimately what we're saying is we're basically hobbling our innovation economy by not figuring out that we should have a healthcare system like a lot of our other advanced economies in the world have. They all have some kind of universal single payer health system. They don't have this complicated, convoluted, expensive, inefficient healthcare system that we have. The problem is almost all the Republican candidates that I know of are attacking and wanting to preserve a system that doesn't work. And so ultimately, if I had to have a litmus test, it's like fundamentally you're not representing Republican interests if you're doing something that economically is destroying us. So the Republicans, in a lot of ways, are disqualifying themselves. But I think they're doing it because it sounds good, and you have to pass the party litmus test to hate the ACA in order to even be a Republican candidate right now. And that's kind of so, a problem for me.
0: <clears throat> so your comments, but you're replace, not running, okay? So you're not running. Yeah. Carson yeah. is. And so the question is, with Carson, your issue with him or your thoughts with him are X. Well, you think that um, he's disqualifying himself because of the... the uh, the partisan positions that he's taking against ACA and other I, things or
1: I don't I don't think I don't think he's I don't think he's going to have the chops to be president. I I think somebody like a uh Christie would have a better chance of being a president and oh, I think Marco Rubio, but you know they all have their flaws and they have some pretty big ones. And they all have their skeletons in their closet. Now, I'm not saying anybody who walks into the uh national spotlight has to be perfect free and clear. But they have to offer, or really, in my mind, paint some realistic alternative of what they want to do. Now, maybe, maybe the problem is with this nasty political season where everything has been uh, hyped, hyped to the max, you, the, the real messages are getting lost. Because I'm sure some of them have put out more intelligent policy positions, but those guys aren't being listened to at all. They're basically ignored. You're not good theater. It's not important. Nobody wants to talk policy when somebody's, you know, got a lampshade on their head. That's the person that's getting all the attention right now.
0: Yeah, and I think um, the thing about, uh, you know, Carson is that, you know, a lot of times, even people that I know well, they're, they're out there on the Internet and they go, oh, my God, look at this news article. You know, he's such an idiot. How could he say that? And then you kind of do your own due diligence because why not? And no matter who yeah. you're for or against, why not? Why not be informed is my my position on that. So, And then you go and you search and you see what he really said. And then you want to say to people, look, <clears throat> we have, we kind of have to grow up a little bit here. Uh, we're never going to have a perfect candidate. Uh, we never have had a perfect candidate. So we really should stop looking for perfect candidates. But we really do have to have a better idea about what a good candidate looks like. And I think that sometimes we um, look for, you know, that whole savior uh, complex where we think somebody's going to come in, they say the right things, and they're going to Wave their magic yeah. wand, and they're going to, and that's just not going to happen. But regarding uh, Ben Carson, whom I've met also and talked to, and you know that, but I think he's a very well-spoken man. I think he's a bright man. I think he's had he's had a lot of accomplishments in his in his life. But I agree with you that I don't think that he is ready for prime time in terms of presidency. Um, may, will he possibly be able to come back? And and maybe. once he's he's gotten himself a little uh, polished up and, and more politically savvy, may, maybe he can be a f- contender in the future. Who knows? But uh, I think that right now he's not ready. <clears throat> and in terms of Mark Rubio, I mean, so – the comment there are a couple of comments that have come through on the chat, so i'm going to throw them in there and i'm going to use them to jump into the next comment. Um, well, somebody said Carson is not presidential material, and then the second comment was that um the feeling is that people that have actually been governor before have a better understanding and an ability to lead in the presidential seat than someone who's been in the Senate because it's a totally different environment where you have to cut deals and and so forth. And and yet running a state is very similar to extrapolated out running a country. So, you know, your comments on that plus your thoughts about Mark Rubio.
1: Well, first off, I do agree with that. I think uh, it's a better proxy. If you are a governor of a state, you're an executive, you're dealing with the legislature, Um, it's going to be a very similar experience, just at a smaller scale than than running the presidency. Um, So those people that have – now, that being said, there's a lot of people that are elected governors who have never been governors before. So – and the same thing is true. You know, there's people elected president who haven't been president before, so it's a new position. (laughs) It's a question of how do you think that person is going to be able to – based upon what they're saying, I think for me I always kind of start with their policies, but then I also look at the person – and see what I think. And of course, I, I will admit, I have not looked at these candidates enough to really, like Like maybe when it gets down to the top couple in each field, like the primary really coming along the line, and now I'll, I'll actually look at them a little bit more closely. Right now, it's like a whole bunch of posturing. And, you know, there might be a candidate that you think is awesome on paper, you know, or that starts out really, you think is kind of cool but they don't even make it to the primary. So it's kind of like, well, there's no point really investing ourselves this early into the game. So Well, I mean, later uh, wait, in the game...
0: wait, wait, wait. Because the counter, the counter uh, point to that is that if you really, if you invest the time in understanding who they are, then maybe the person that is the best is someone that you can cast a vote for. And they do get past the primary. So, I mean, that's a good comment Well, chicken I mean, we're not at the point there. of voting.
1: You're, you're right. I you're understand. We're not at the point of voting. But they are kind of in the beauty contest stage right now. Um, and they're passing through the debates, and, yes, it, it, by the time it gets to Iowa. I, I'm just realizing that in my own personal unless somebody happens to listen to this show, hear my comments, and throw their support for some particular candidate, I realize that I have very little influence over this process. But for myself, um, you know, if um, if Ben Carson happened to get through all of the the rings, he is somebody who has accomplished a lot and i think actually look looking at some of his positions and the way they've been portrayed in the media I'll, I'll take for example the the uh you know a muslim shouldn't be president well of course a muslim can be president but he was talking about muslims who hold certain beliefs that are contrary to the constitution and he said if there was a muslim that held all those beliefs that, that were that were in alignment with our constitution well then of course i would vote for him and that was exactly the correct answer it's not about the religion it's about the beliefs and what do they you know what they support and so that was an interesting uh comment and in that respect I do I re, I respect actually what he said. So Ben wouldn't be a horrible guy. I like Marco Rubio in a certain way but he also reminds me of like Obama and that being a senator with like first term uh senator maybe doesn't have the experience but in a lot of ways I think he represents the younger generation. Jeb yeah. um Jeb is you know kind of he's the old school candidate for sure in this case. And right. we've had two Bushes, and I think people are going to have a hard time voting for a third Bush just because he's carrying on the legacy. Now, obviously, he's different than his 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 brother and his dad, so they're not the same person. But the point is, I think people Jeb hasn't lit anybody on fire, and uh, with you know he, you know he's got he's got his his pulse on everything. I think he just thought, based upon his credentials, based upon what he's done again as the governor, um, that he would be you know, well-positioned to be able to take on the presidency. But I think, given the current environment, he's just not hes not standing out at all. So I don't think Jeb is really uh, going to cut it.
0: Yeah, interesting. You know, earlier you made a comment about Chris Christie and um, how he had, you know, he seemed like a, a viable candidate. And in some ways, you know, Christie's kind of a, you know, another New Jersey-slash-New York-type personality similar to, um uh, Trump in that you know he he crosses the line and he he tells people to shut up or you know he just yeah. he's just one of those guys that people he he, he appeal he has appeals to a lot of people and i like him i mean in in some ways because you know i think that sometimes the the process that we're involved in just gets a little bit too murky and people don't really say what they mean and they don't really say what they think and there's a lot of gaming going on behind the scenes and so you know it's sometimes it's a refreshing change to have somebody where you just know where they stand now the other flip side of that of course because there always is one is that you don't want to have somebody like Chris in office, you know, trying to have a diplomatic conversation with, you know, the president of Russia. I mean, there are certain things that you have to, and, and I'm not saying that he may not be able to switch gears to be able to handle that, but for, from what we've seen so far, I mean, he, he kind of, you know, he attracts a lot of heat. And, and Rubio, speaking of heat, he took some heat from Chris Christie, you know, they're kind of cam- cannibalizing one another, and from Bush. Um, about his absenteeism, you know, in in his uh voting record. Over the last three years he missed, you know, national security hearings and missed more total votes than any other senator. And and yet, you know, here he is running for, you know, the highest office in the land and and uh, you know, that's just kind of a and and yet, you know, Trey Gowdy, who's been a bit of a right wing sweetheart, endorsed him. So it's it's kind of interesting to see how this is playing out in terms of, you know, who the sweethearts are. And then of course there's Rick Santorum who um, we, we also met, and, met. Know Rick from yeah. years ago um, when we were kind of taking him to task for some of the stuff he was doing right around the time that, that Clinton was in office and that whole Monica Lewinsky stuff. So what do you think about him being in the race?
1: Um, I think he's interesting, uh, but I think he's kind of a very marginal he, – he appeals to a very marginal section of the electorate. I, I think there's only going to be three or four or five that even rise to the, the national stage and are still competing in a leader. Uh, So whatever I think about Santorum, I like him on some issues. I don't like him on others. I think sometimes he's – my my ideal candidate is somebody who's conservative fiscally but more uh, progressive or, or liberal socially, that doesn't try to get into everybody's bedrooms and dictate everybody's behavior, but does try to be prudent in how they're spending our money and tries to be smart and maybe engages on certain things at a very deep level. And, and of course, you know, good moral values. I I think Santorum's got good moral values. I think he gets a little bit preachy for me sometimes in trying to promote policies. And that's probably where I get a little bit uncomfortable with him. I don't know as much about him in terms of how he would, quote, unquote, handle the purse strings. I don't think he's a bad candidate. I think he would be certainly a good candidate, a, a strong candidate. But, again, he's the kind of person I don't think will even make it to the later stages with with the current environment. So it's kind of like one of those things where if I invested all my hopes and dreams in, in, in Rick Santorum, he wouldn't even be there standing at the end. So it's one of those things where I just don't think he's got the, the base behind him and he's not inspired enough people to even get to that next stage.
0: You know, and you you mentioned earlier also that you talked about the Jeb Bush thing and how he's part of that whole dynasty, dynasty, and you know, the Bush dynasty, you know, the Clinton dynasty, you know, people are tired of seeing the same people like the Kennedys or whatever coming through the yep. door. Um there's pluses and minuses to that, you know. The plus is that you've got somebody that's in office that knows what he's doing that has multiple reelections that has um, some savvy that is, is used to dealing with, you know, the national and sometimes international, international. stage, yeah. you know, that isn't going to, quote, unquote, embarrass us, um, you know, and, and it's not like you're always having to look for Flash. People say, oh, he's not, you know, Flashy, he's he's dead. And it's like, well, sometimes that's what you need. I mean, you keep going for Flash, and there's no substance behind it. So there there's that one, you know, <laughs> thing to consider. And then the other thing is, you know, well, people are still looking at, at Clinton, and she's one of the, the highest... Um, polling, you know, under Bernie, uh, next to Bernie. So, I mean, obviously, she's still in the game, and the Clintons are still in the game. So, you know, why not the Bushes? If you're going to have it that way. Um, okay, but I think you're right. But I think way. you're right in in the sense that you know he he may not uh, he may be a sleeper candidate. Um, but for a lot of people, I think that they're just tired of the, the the legacy stuff, and and he may not he may not make the cut. So, um, and then there's what? Uh, let's say Mike Huckabee. What do you think about Mike Huckabee?
1: Uh, Again, um, a decent candidate. I think he's got the chops to do it. But, again, he gets a little bit more preachy on the social side. You know, I think think he would get into trouble, and I don't think he would be very effective. So as a result, I, I think the ideal candidate is probably, all things considered, probably somebody younger who has the ability to adapt and pivot than somebody who represents the old conservative establishment. I think think the problem is right now the old conservative establishment has kind of tied itself into knots, and I don't think it's going to be able to stand up enough voters to really... And and not not even enough voters, but it it has to have this ability to reach across the aisle um, to embrace new ideas, because I think change in society is accelerating. And as a result, sometimes... We have to be willing to change along with it. And we're not, that's the thing that I think I also look at with candidates is what do you think is their ability to embrace change? You know, are they trying to, you know, reenact the glory days of the 1940s or the 1800s or something? Or are they really looking forward to, you know, 21st century policies? And what are we going to do in this information, uh, hyper uh, data aware society with great robotics and automation? I mean, that's my whole job is about changing things so quickly, and yet I see people trying to, you know, promote policies like, well, let's close the doors on the border. Well, really, you're backwards. We want to welcome more people, not necessarily people who work in the farms. Sure, we need some of those. But why don't we welcome more high-tech workers, people with education? You know, why doesn't anybody who goes to a Ph.D. program get an automatic green card to stay here? I mean, there should be things like that, or at least considered, You know, we should be trying to – we we do a pretty good job, but we could do a heck of a lot better job of attracting an even greater percentage of high-tech, high-skilled people into our economy. And I think the immigration equation misses that. So back to the people. Right, because you're you're, you're on your soapbox about the policies,
0: and I get that. But the the question is really about, you know, the elections and who who they are. are. If I look at the people,
1: I think that somebody probably – Rubio, even though he's inexperienced, represents a younger generation and might have a better chance. Carson, to me, represents more of an outsider. He might have a chance just because he's an outsider. Um, The other candidates, uh, Christie, I think he, he, he likes breaking eggs. I like that about him. I think sometimes he breaks too many eggs and he causes himself a lot of trouble and a lot of enemies. Ultimately, I think at the national political stage when you're trying to make deals, I would worry less about him getting along with the president of Russia than with the Democrats.
0: Well, so, you know, well the Democrats would be, be more diplomatic, whereas, you know, the president of Russia might knock his head off at a meeting. Oh, no, a I think they're two people are alike. No, I think
1: they're alike in some ways, and as a result, I think they would probably check each other better than a lot of other candidates. I or think, they would just I bump and of we would
0: have World War Three. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, um, I, yeah. I think that you've made a couple of comments about social, quote-unquote, stuff, and I think what you're really talking about is religion. Um and I think that it's it's a it's a hot button issue for a lot of people on both sides. Um, one side is the freedom of religion, where you really want to allow everybody to have the right to to practice their religion or not practice their religion, as the case may be. And then on the other hand are people that don't want to hear anything um, religious because this is not supposed to be you know a country that's based upon that. And and yet you've got so many candidates um, and so many people that are quote unquote religious that lead with their religion, who has they have policies that they support based upon their religion about what they think other people should be doing and um i think that like you i i tend to back away from that it's y- there's a fine line between allowing people to have their religion and drawing a line and saying hey i don't believe what you believe i don't believe in what you believe in um and therefore i don't believe that your policy should be at my front door so how do you how do you uh decide on candidates based upon how strong they are in that whole religious arena, yes, I agree with you that I would be more likely to back away from a candidate on that uh, basis, I, because I just I don't like it. Um, the other comment it, it, I was going to... It, the yeah, founding I'm just trying fathers
1: to, were smart. The founding right. fathers were smart. Separation of church and state. Why? Because back when the, the country was founded, the people that were coming to our country were trying to escape religious persecution. We shouldn't be trying to recreate religious persecution and litmus test of how Christian or Muslim or anything else you are. In fact, you know, the the more you keep religion out of the, the, the role and running of government, the better off you are. Now, with relation to security threats, if people hold beliefs that re- represent security threats, that's a different matter. Okay? It's a different matter. So I'll just leave it at that.
0: So one of the other comments that came in, um, other than the religious thing, was, and it was a very, you know, uh, whatever granular comment. Basically, said no more old people. So yeah, goes <laughs> back to some, you know, goes back to some of this, and that's ageist. And so I'm not going to touch that. But I think that there's some. Something to be said for like we you said earlier, this is the twenty first century. Um A you want continuity and leadership on some level. You can't just keep busting up the system for the sake disruption for its own sake can can become very counterproductive. But you do want some people that are gonna go in the office that are gonna be able to stay long enough to make an impact and you know, there's no guarantee. I mean somebody that's young can drop dead tomorrow where somebody that's older could be in there, you know, and, and never get out unless they're voted out after their two terms. But um you know so that was one of the comments but just speaking about some of the other co- um uh candidates i saw something on cnn yesterday um that one person showed up for O'Malley's event in Iowa, and for those who don't know who that is, we're talking about former Maryland Governor um, Martin O'Malley. He's running on the D ticket, so that that's kind of a statement about you know knocking somebody out of the box if they're not um, getting it done. And then um, former New York Governor George Pataki dropped out of the Republican race. I think it was yesterday, so he's out. Um, and then there's Clinton. Okay, so some of her allies are willing to acknowledge that she could lose New Hampshire. Um, to Bernie Sanders, who's currently leading in the polls. Uh, what are your thoughts about Clinton? And then what are your comments uh, or thoughts about Theo Burn? is what they're calling him?
1: Well, Hillary represents an interesting case. I think she represents, I think, greater than almost any other candidate, the representation of legacy here. On the other hand, she probably represents somebody who's probably going to be more effective at the levers of government because of her being that close to the, you know, being, being, <laughs> you know, Secretary of State. She has the connections on foreign, you know, international affairs. She's seen the workings of government very closely. So I think she has the skills. Obviously, she has the support. She's the Democratic front runner. Um, I think she might end up being the safe choice for a lot of people in the end if uh, if she ends up being the on, on the ticket, if she ends up leading the ticket. So for a lot of people that say, you know what, I, I don't like where we're going, we're not sure, Clinton might end up being the safe bet. okay?
0: The and safe bet. I'm sure she wants I, that. I'm your safe bet. Well that, Here, there's your, your yeah, campaign maybe. slogan. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, yeah. And, and
1: people may hate her, but I think ultimately we would actually prospered pretty well under, under Bill Clinton as a country. Um
0: well this is we not Bill pretty, Running though.
1: I know it's not Bill Running. I'm just saying is but I think Hillary it, it depends. We, I don't know enough about the fine grained detail of her policy proposals. I mean it's it's been so much about it's it's Hillary and and, and going after her personality as opposed to going after her policies.
0: Well no and I don't I don't, I don't know think what that, all her I don't think Benghazi is about her personality. That's just me. But okay um okay. but yes well, yes but yes you're correct yeah. there are some things that are based upon her personality and how you know deceptive she is and this whole email situation and you know she's a player she's she's a political animal she's an operative i mean let's not you know uh, be under any illusions about that so she she is someone oh. that is she, that it is what it is speaking
1: um, speaking about the person one person we skipped on the republican side who probably still has the potential to be a contender would be carly Corina. Well, actually, I was so, going to
0: get to her, and I was going to talk about Ted Cruz, and then I was going to well, talk about Rand Paul well, on thinking, the libertarian type, type side. So, yeah. Yeah,
1: when we when we talk about like 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 Carly or or Hillary, I think they represent different, you know, powerful female voices in in politics, and that may that may touch a chord with some people as well. Um, you know, we've we've broken barriers, right? You know, we've gone from the white male running the country to, oh, my God, we elected a person of color. Okay, well, now it's going to be a late a woman, right? And next it's going to be, you know, somebody of Chinese descent, you know, whatever the next barrier is. I can see that being part of one of the things that happens. Now, is that the litmus test that I want to use for deciding who gets to be president? Absolutely not. But will some people do that? Probably will. so Oh,
0: absolutely, yeah. But, I, you, you know, know, what do you the, think the, about Carly in terms of her, um campaigning and her issues and her comments.
1: I think the thing that that, that hurts her more than most things is not even her campaigning and her comments. I think she's when I've heard her speaking she sounded sensible, but I think her record in terms of running a business has not been as successful as people would like. So it doesn't it doesn't it, her 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 backstory is not as compelling as we would like. And I think if she rose to to the top of the ticket nationally that would become more and more an issue that would weigh her down. So I just don't see her. I don't see her flying to the top of the ticket. I just don't. She might be a VP. That's possible. That could happen. But that's a that's a whole different animal. Maybe that's part of her underlying strategy. But that well, could.
0: Oh oh yeah okay, no but, we're done with Hillary we're moving on cuz we, okay, okay. we haven't even gotten to the other questions here um so okay. you wanted to give some com- I wanted to get some comments from you about Bernie Sanders and then Rand Paul and then I'm going to go and then I think we didn't talk about Ted Cruz so I want to talk about him very quickly cuz we're kind of really running out of time here and then okay. uh, I want to go back to Carly and I want to make a comment about something you said about her okay
1: secretly I really like Bernie I think he actually says some things that actually make common sense Secretly? The problem I, I was secretly. Maybe not so secretly. Now not I've said anymore. It I, no, I think Bernie actually says a lot of great things, okay? And I think that's – the thing is, though, I don't know how we would pay for it. I don't know how we would get there. I don't know how much opposition we'd have. I mean, it's kind of like one of our smartest presidents was Jimmy Carter, right? He was a brilliant man, and he had a, a huge heart. But theoretically, is that all you need to run the presidency? Absolutely not. Somehow you got to have the chops to – you know, maneuver the other parties to work to your to, to your liking. And, and that's the thing I would have with Bernie, is not so much the his ideas or his policies. Some of them make a heck of a lot of sense. Now, when you add them all up, is it going to be so damn expensive that we bankrupt ourselves? Well, I don't think he actually envisions everything he wants happening. I think he's basically saying is, gee, would this be nice? This is really the way we should do it. And getting from here to there, is not a zero-sum game, and it is not a uh, one thing changes and everything stays the same. So we know that this is a, an adaptive dynamic system. So I don't look at everything that Bernie says and says, "Oh my God, if if we elect him, all these things are going to happen," because we know that's complete malarkey. But on the bigger picture, would he represent some good policies?
0: Absolutely. Probably, Such as what's it? Give me an example.
1: I think like his approaches on healthcare make a heck of a lot more sense. For instance, Um, when you listen to him, he he tends to represent, like, for instance, uh, Citizens United and the way there's just so much money in politics that is corrupting the system. He's right. It's true. Absolutely is uh, distorting the system. Um, Now, can we overturn it overnight? No, not going to happen. But he's right on these issues and he's speaking to to correct. He's making some good statements that make a a lot of sense. So do you hear some policies that you think about that are coming out of him that are completely wrong?
0: Are you asking me? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, if, uh, I'll tell you what I'm going to say about Bernie. I'll, all I will say about Bernie is that he has the luxury of making his comments because he doesn't necessarily he doesn't like any costs. other can- – he doesn't have to pay for them. And, and like every other candidate, he doesn't have to uh, – he can always blame uh, Congress or whomever else when they don't go through because a lot of them will not go through because uh, there is a, a large segment of the population that will not, will not allow the government to become England um, or the U.K. where you have more, more than half, 70% of the people on the it's just not feasible. There's a certain mentality that's out there about helping people. I think it's compassionate and I think it's reasonable up to a point. But I don't think this government should, you know, expand and take care of everything attitude is something that resonates with me. So that's all I'm going to say about Bernie. That doesn't mean that he doesn't have some good policies or some good ideas that I agree with, but I would say that he would not be the candidate for me. So, um and 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 just quickly before I forget about what I was going to say about Carly is that you mentioned the fact that she wasn't successful I'm I'm assuming you're talking about HP and and some of the yes. stories that have circulated about that which have actually been um contested and and people have put some some meat on that bone but I would also say that you know Sometimes it is an advantage to be able to have something that has failed and then you actually learn from that and grow from that. And there are several candidates that we have had um, in the past, if not now, that have had unsuccessful ventures that have learned from them. But you can't discount the fact that she was actually able to climb the corporate ladder and pierce the glass ceiling and come to the level of success and achieve that she has achieved. So, you know, you can look, oh, at, it different. You can look at it from different types of, of perspectives, like, okay, she, she didn't do so well at HP, but my God, she did. Did succeed and get to that point. So where do we go from here? And, and, and is she going to be accurate about some of the things that she's saying through the debate, or is she going to have talking points that are kind of misstated like every other person that's been standing on that stage, whether at R, They kind of wax philosophical about things that are not necessarily accurate. And, you know, it's up to us as citizens to look at the facts and try to find through all of these candidates that we have up there who are absolutely imperfect which one's going to have the the better chance of of getting things done the better chance of working across the aisle because it's absolutely necessary and who is going to have sound policies that are going to benefit um the most people without turning us into a, a, a behemoth government that's got its hands in everything with this, you know, massively running away deficits. Um, speaking of, not that I think that's what Rand Paul's going to do, but we haven't con- you know, talked about the two of them, and, and they're the only two that, um, oh, wait a minute, somebody just called uh, Bernie a socialist. Well, whatever. Okay, so Rand Paul. Pretty, uh, much. To, well, Pretty yeah, much. Well, so. that that's enough for me to say no, but Rand Paul and Ted Cruz. What do you think about those two? Uh,
1: Ted Ted Cruz is uh too off the Texas. ranch for my liking. Yeah. US it, Senator, it, yeah. okay, yeah. Yeah, no, he he's too far off the ranch for my liking.
0: Um what does that mean?
1: too extreme on a lot of issues. Such as um he he's he's like a hyper conservative and I think he would really um I don't think he would be successful. I, I don't think he's got a chance. Uh not not if he's at the top of the ticket. I don't okay, I just wanted to hear you help. say it. He might be he and might Rand be, and Rand Paul. What about
0: Rand Paul? Sorry to cut you off. Like somebody's he's, like, he's, stop he's cutting not, him off. But it's six minutes left, Joe. Whatever.
1: No, 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 I I don't. I like Rand, um, but I don't know enough about him. Um, <laughs> but I like him in that he's. I, I I I tend to ascribe to more of a libertarian type of, you know. But there's obviously flaws in that whole thinking as well, right? There's some things that you can be libertarian about as long as it's not on everybody else's dime, <laughs> right? Well, well, it's like anything. Uh, but
0: the point is that libertarianism is about getting government out of, you know, trying to going going back to you know a a free market society for lack of a better description. I mean, so what is it about Rand Paul that you just think he's too much of an outlier? That he, you know, outlier that he's just yeah. not going to okay.
1: If I had to say if I had to say it, you know, libertarians make a mistake, and then the mistake is this. They think they need to have the government out of everything. Well, guess what? That's you not can't true. have the government. Well, I think. You, well, some of them feel like you know. Oh my God, the government's just way too intrusive. Realistically, the problem has not been regulation. The the problem has been in in trying to regulate appropriately. A free market economy doesn't work when there isn't uh, when when people can take advantage of one another. Just like you have to have uh, ability to control monopolies, you have to have regulation for a free market economy to work. And I think I think too many libertarians think that libertarianism is getting government out of out of our lives, and, they, and, and in their impression, that means no regulation. And in my opinion, give, That gets that gets to be wrong. And I'll give, and I'll get, and I'll get you, give you some examples.
0: I don't want to because we're not talking. here. We're not here to talk about what you think about libertarianism. Okay. We're here to talk about what you think about Rand Paul. And so, if you think, think that Rand? I think he's interesting,
1: but I don't think he's going to rise up. I don't think he's going to rise up. Okay. Uh,
0: So, here we are, and we've got about four minutes left, and so, you know, I'm not going to get into the Rand Paul thing, because libertarianism... it's more complex than that, and and yes, I you see tell me what you pluses think. and minuses. What do you well, think? I'm not, because I can't, because I've got four minutes left, and i got another question, oh. and then i got to do my outro. So okay. anyway, because I mean, the there's question? a fine line between talking about the election and who you think is going to get in, and then going off and talking about the different policies and things that you believe in, you as in us, not just you as in you. Um, and then that's where the time gets burnt, because we're not running for office, and I would never run for office, so I don't want to get into that. But... Um, So the question is, what's the ticket going to look like on the DNR side, and who's going to be our next POTUS and VPOTUS, in your belief?
1: I think on the D side, Hillary will be the candidate. I think Bernie's going to have a lot of influence on the process and may have a lot of influence on who ends up being the uh, the VEEP. I don't think it'll be Bernie. I think it'll be somebody that we don't know. But I think it'll be So you don't, so you don't think that
0: even if, if even if Hillary won, you don't think that she would make uh, Bernie her V POTUS? I don't think so.
1: I think because um I mean it's possible, but I think it's unlikely. I think okay. it's something different. It,
0: and I, if, I think and if, Bernie somebody somebody, and if Bernie won for somebody and if Bernie won for POTUS, who do you think would he, he would make for his V POTUS?
1: Oh, God, I have no idea.
0: But that would be an All interesting right.
1: choice. You so know, I mean, literally, literally sometimes when somebody rises to the top of the ticket, the real final qualifying choices in, in making a decision is kind of like, who do you make as your vice presidential candidate? Because that is the second person that's a heartbeat away from the seat of power. And so that is a good proxy of your decision-making ability. And so, okay, but this is not a editorializing an editorializing
0: comment. This is a straightforward. Yeah. Who do you think? I mean, because we're really down to the minutes here. You got to make yeah. these short and sweet. Okay. So on the okay. on the R side, if in fact you know, who do you think is going to be on the uh, ticket for the R side?
1: I don't know yet. I don't know yet. I really don't know. I I th- I, I don't think it's going to be Trump, but I wouldn't rule it out. Oh my
0: goodness, um, really?
1: Huh? Uh, yeah. Well, I, I I I would like I said I I think. I think it would be a tragedy if he is at the top of the ticket, but I wouldn't rule it out. And, uh, and if, if he was, then it was would be rule-
0: maybe Carly or something like that, because I'm, I'm down here. I'm, I'm down. Could be. I really
1: we will probably know more in about three months, would be my guess. I don't think it's going to be decided until March, April, in, 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 until that time frame, is to see who's really going to be there.
0: Okay. So couldn't give you guys any uh, information on that. And uh just wanna thank Charles and all of you who called in or sent chat comments and questions today. This is our last live broadcast of two thousand fifteen. You can find our podcast right here. iTunes Stitcher, tune in. It's and gonna be ruby you if- can follow us on Facebook at backslash STR8 Radio. That's Sammy Tommy Roger, the number eight, Talk Radio. So gotta sign off here. It's two fifty nine PM Pacific time on Wednesday. December 30th, and wishing you guys a happy new year. We'll see you in 2016. I guess that's it. We're out of here.